Hey guys, if you enjoyed this episode, please support this podcast by going to talkmurder.com slash join and becoming a Taco Supremo. Hey guys, let me tell you a really sad story. So the other day I was walking down the street and I saw a dog. Now, it was a really cute pup, but I noticed something was wrong. This dog didn't seem too happy. And then when I took a closer look, I noticed that the dog had some missing parts. What a shame, I thought. The poor bugger is missing his kibbles and bits. His basket of grapes, his nuggets have been neutered. Get the picture? Removing the twigs and berries from either man or beast is an affront to God. Don't believe it? Deuteronomy 23.1 states, No man whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Ladies, now you may not know this, but when us men are born, we belong to a sacred club, forming a sack pact, if you will, with a divine and holy order of protecting the sacred family jewels at all costs. Since time and antiquity, a man's junk has been thought to be a direct measure of his worth. So as men, we must go nads or go home by protecting our baby balloons from projectiles both deliberate and accidental. But fearing most of all, someone monstrous enough to lob off our meat kiwi straight from its tree. One man, one mutilator struck such fear that my own clams crawled back into their shells. So guys, hold on to your knickknacks because tonight's killer gets off by the slice. I'm really excited about this episode. Yeah, John, you've been teasing this episode for a while. I know. Uh, so I can't wait. I can't wait. I know it's the mutilator, whatever the hell that is. Mm-hmm. Has any? I, I'm sure we we've talked about this in in past episodes. So I wonder if any of our tacos has has guessed or looked this up. No, no one knows this story. We're the only podcast that's covered it. Yes, we're the only true crime podcast. There's like a history podcast that covered it for some reason. Oh, hmm. interesting. Yeah. So tonight we have a new tacos primo in the house. Oh, who is it? Her name is Lillian. Welcome, Lillian. Hey, Lillian. Lillian is from Texas. Oh, Texas. And on the forum, she says, hello, everyone. Uh, This is Lily from Dallas. I like video games, Pathfinder, anime. I I don't see the word hentai in here, so that's good. And chill into some crime shows. I'd like to shout out my girlfriend. She stars, writes, and animates a true crime show that focuses on serial killers in Asia. Ooh. She's even done a few of the same killers that TM2M has. If you are interested, here's the link. Very cool. Very cool. And to go see... Oh, look who's the first episode. Oh, yeah. check that out. Go to YouTube, guys, and watch our animated series. We actually haven't got to yet because I just saw this for the first time. But it looks like she has five episodes up there. It's called The Midnight Hour. And it looks like her handle, is that what it's called? Handle? Channel name? Mm-hmm. Is UTD space TV. 
Okay. So go there and uh, support her, her girlfriend, that is. And I guess she animates it and everything, which is pretty impressive. That's wild, yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah. Thank you so much, Lily, for joining us. And we're so glad to have you. Yes, for sure. For tonight's story, we are doing the mutilator. However, I have been doing a lot of Supremo requests. And if you would like for me to do your request, is really simple. Go talkmer.com slash join. Pay the $47 lifetime membership and request your story. We'll also send you a really cool T-shirt. And I will get your story done while I'm on a roll. Because I've been doing a lot of them lately. Mm-hmm. So anyway, are you, who's ready for the mutilator? I am. Me. When uh, So when John said that he was going to do the mutilator case, I know he's been reading this book. He specially ordered something. And um, we were... In the room, and he was reading this book, and he just had this giddy grin on his face as he was reading this book. So um, I- I'm not really sure what's in store for us, but it was just the look of pure joy reading this case. <laughs> should I be concerned or like <laughs> probably, excited? I don't probably. know. I think I should be more concerned than than you, Jen. But yeah. you know, here we are. You guys are gonna love this. So tonight we're drinking um, a a a, mut- a thirst mutilator. Um, so for those who have seen the movie um, Idiocracy, uh, I was looking up oh, yeah. I was looking up drinks like that had the word mutilator in it, and there really wasn't any. But it kept on bringing up Brondo, Brondo. which is what they drink instead of water in yeah. the movie. It's like mutilate your thirst is the tagline. <laughs> so wait a minute. What you're saying is that you want us to put water on the crops. Yes. Water. Like out the toilet? Well, I mean, it doesn't have to be out of the toilet, but but yeah, that's the idea. But Brondo's got what plants crave. It's got electrolytes. So we're drinking our version of Brondo, <laughs> Brondo. Um, which is uh, Blue Powerade oh, and vodka. That was one of the best movies I've ever seen. And it's actually accurate to how this world is turning out. Yeah. 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 Surprise shots, surprise shots. We don't know what they are because they're a surprise. Guys, I had to play that really gently because I almost sliced my pinky off the other day and I couldn't quite play that to uh, my full strength. You did okay. You did okay. Cheers. Oh, wow. What is this? Did you just throw a whole bunch of shit together? Gross. No, that was a whiskey sour shooter. It mutilates my thirst. (laughs) So does anybody want to take a guess? No, I don't want you guys to guess. I want to get right into it. And you know, we had really good responses from our cooped up killer episode. Really? Really good responses. And it's because we did the narration at the beginning. So I thought we should do a narration for this. It's the Uh, perfect way. So with this story with the mutilator... I was researching it. I was going to do it a few weeks ago, and I was like, oh, man, this is just so crazy. I wonder if there's a book. And there was. It's like this really obscure book I found on a rare book site. Anyway, the author of the book actually interviewed this guy. and The author interviewed the actual mutilator? Yeah, the mutilator. And that's how the book came to pass. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And one of the reasons you've never heard of this is because... Tonight, we're going to Sydney, Australia. Oh, okay. I wonder if um, if our good friends Lauren and Jazz have I, heard of this. I don't know. Yeah, Lauren or Jasmine, have you guys heard of the mutilator? I would love to know. 
it's so outrageous that you don't even think it's true, but it is true. It 100% is true. So anyway, tonight we are going to Sydney, Australia, and this is a fantastic story. We are starting with a narration, so I hope everyone has their acting voices ready to go. <coughs> 42 Wallaby Way, Sydney. <laughs> now, Sherman. Okay, so tonight we're going to Sunday, June 4th, 1961. We're going mm. to Sydney, Australia. Two soldiers, Australian soldiers. Martin Sanders and Keith Thorpe, they come across a mutilation. Oh. They walk into the Central Police Station in Sydney, Australia. Now, they just came from the domain baths. So you guys understand what a bathhouse is? Mm -hmm. They call it, they also refer to it in the story as public toilets. Right. So it's basically like a big place to piss. It's... It's basically like a rest stop mm -hmm. that you see on the side of the interstate, but in the middle of the city. Well, it was oh, that's not it was, what I thought that, that that was going to be. Wasn't it like before people had their own like baths yeah. and, and toilets and stuff, indoor plumbing? Yeah. So it was public plumbing. Public plumbing. Yeah, there's, there you go. Public plumbing. But bathhouses, at least around this time, were also where the derelicts hang out and where the deviant people hung out at night. Oh. There was a lot of handies getting handed out. <laughs> Lots of glory holes. Yeah, I was going to say glory <laughs> holes. <laughs> glory holes. Oh, shit. Holy shit. I heard that glory holes made a comeback during the pandemic. I mean, I wouldn't know. But <laughs> what? That's something that I read somewhere. I've never been anywhere where I've seen a glory hole. Well, you haven't been to the right places, clearly. <laughs> that is not a real thing. That's like it is for a real thing. I think it is a real thing. Are you telling me somebody's going to put their wiener in there? And then, number one, they're not co-ed bathrooms anywhere. Who said that it yeah. had to be co-ed? Oh, that's gross. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah you I don't the, understand what I, those... No, yeah, this is, the, it's a I trucker know. thing. I think the point is that it's not co-ed. mostly men. Okay, so we got two truckers, at least. That are female. Abby and Rowan. You, but the, I, I don't think many, they're venturing into the men's bathroom. Well, what do women have? Y'all don't have glory holes? No. What is there to stick through uh -oh. a glory hole? Well, I mean, unless you position yourself in front of the hole and, you know, get imaginative mm. but i would not y'all could have two little holes that you put your two fingers through you know and do kind of a well why not just have one big hole or maybe Baby. two in the pink one in the stink God. hole <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> or maybe four in the stink yeah and a fist Babe. in the pink <laughs> i would not want a fist in my pink <laughs> I'm just saying, that's like too much. That's a lot of commitment. How about the whole Green Bay Packers Babe, starting oh my line? God. <laughs> Stop it. Okay, so they've just come from the Domain Baths. It's also a popular swimming spot around the time. That's what I thought it was. Okay, yeah, baths. Baths, swimming. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's big and like, never mind. So there's your context. I'm playing one soldier. Jen's playing the other. Nicole's reading the narration. So the two soldiers run into a police station. They just saw the bloodiest thing they've ever seen, even as soldiers. There is a completely just mutilated corpse in the bath. Lovely. In the domain bath. Now, and they run a mile and a half to the police station full force. So when they get there... They're out of breath. And this is in the evening, so the desk sergeant is there. 
and he's the only one. Do you need me to take a walk around the neighborhood so I can get out of breath? <laughs> no, just walk around the table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> an asshole <laughs> you're not wrong <laughs> sergeant we found a body sergeant I, how does australians kind of like a british accent but a little bit different you gotta put a little bit more emphasis on the slides all right i'm gonna try my australian one sergeant sergeant <laughs> we found a body sergeant <laughs> And he's been murdered for sure. Well, you sound a little bit more like a Confederate soldier than an Australian <laughs> one, but good try. <laughs> Think about, like, pretend you're going to Outback Steakhouse for Bloomin' Onion. I'm not good at accents, Shrimp man. on the Bobby. Sergeant. <laughs> just, Sergeant. Sergeant. Just, just read Sergeant? it. I'll do the accents. You, take, you just read. <laughs> just go with Southern. It's fine. All right. Sergeant. We found a body, Sergeant. And he's been murdered for sure. Marty Sanders blurted out, his wide eyes looking over his shoulder, as if worried that the killer might appear behind him at any second. There's a <coughs> body under the dressing shed that they remain, and it's been cut up real bad. <laughs> Sergeant, yeah, it's completely mutilated. We almost can't recognize this poor bugger. And that's not all, Sergeant. He, he, he... The sergeant slams down his fist on his desk. What is it? Well, sergeant, his uh, his <laughs> knickknacks, his his um, his family jewels, his his cock and balls, they they've been looped off. Looped <laughs> 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 Okay, this is so the sergeant, the desk sergeant. He's like, I've I've heard a lot of shit in my life, but not the cock and balls. I also need to mention that not only is he called the mutilator, he's also referred to more commonly, especially in Australia, as the knick-knack killer. Knick-knack oh. paddywhack. And I, didn't wanna, I didn't want to tell you guys, guys that now because what do you th- what do you think he's known for? Well, I'm assuming now this is this is a common thing for him. <laughs> yeah, this is he's his a signature. castrator. <laughs> he's a fucking castrator. Knick-knacks. I've never. Balls. I, mean, I, I would not have. I would not have. <laughs> If you had just said knickknacks at first without hearing this quote, yeah, is I would that not a co- have known. Is that common slang in Australia? Yeah, it is. Oh. Knickknacks. I like that. Yeah. We should All use right. that more. The body was laying on its back, legs straight, arms at the side. The left arm was stretched out and to an awkward angle. The head was on the side facing left. The shirt was still on. Trousers pulled down. He was still wearing socks. Hmm. The neck and face has been slashed and stabbed in the neck and face, not anywhere else in the body, 47 times. Yikes. All right, so, and we're going to get back into that victim here in a little bit. But right now, let's talk about the mutilator. And this is him right here. Go to talkmore.com. I'm putting all these pictures on there. That is the mutilator. Ah. That is William McDonald, the mutilator. He was born Allen Ginsberg. He was from a wealthy Orthodox Jewish family. He changes his name to William McDonald, and I'm going to get into this later, because he wanted to become less Jewish, because this is the time when the Jews were getting persecuted really bad, obviously, the Second World War, right? He was born June 17th, 1924 in Liverpool, England. Mm. Like I said, he changed his name to become less Jewish, and his name is officially William McDonald. Okay. That is it. 
he actually forgot to put a middle name in there. Hmm. So his his well, name some is... people don't have middle names. His name is William McDonald. Well, he admits that he forgot to do oh. it. Oh. Yeah. Now, he is antisocial from the beginning. From the beginning of his life, he's antisocial. And he's got five confirmed kills, and they've all been... Knick-knacked. Been man... Paddywhacked. <laughs> Paddywhacked. <laughs> they've all been paddywhacked. <laughs> Shit. Um, he lo- reminds me a lot of um an actor, but I cannot. I don't know the name of this actor, but like he's like a gangst plays a lot of gangster characters. This dude does definitely look like a New York gangster. I will tell you that. If I showed you this picture, especially that one on the right, go to talkmore.com to see this guy and tell me in the comments: Does this guy look like a gangster or not? I would automatically assume he was a gangster right there. He does kind of mm. look like it to me. So the book we're reading tonight is The Mutilator. It is basically an autobiography. The author that interviewed him wrote everything word from word from his mouth. He so, actually secretly recorded it on a uh, you know a recorder in his pocket. And the author talks about that if the mutilator, William McDonald, would have known that he was secretly recording his voice, he would have killed him right there. Mm. So, and that's how he came back and wrote everything word for word. So what we're reading tonight and a lot of what Jen's going to be reading is word from word from William McDonald, the mutilator. I want to say that the actor I'm thinking of is the dad in Mickey Blue Eyes. So this is from the first day of kindergarten. When my mother left me there on my own on that first day, I was terrified. But from the minute she walked away, I wouldn't have anything whatever to do with any of it or the other children. I wasn't frightened of them. I just never mixed with any of them ever. In his family, he's the youngest of two brothers. His Jewish father was obviously really good with money. Okay. <laughs> Why's that? Uh, because he he did really well in finance in his college. Mm. That's mm. where I was going. Right. Gotcha. So, and his Jewish father also owned a furniture store. Mm. Ah. Yeah. He was the youngest of two brothers. Now, they grew up in wealth. This was in a Jewish community in Liverpool, and everyone knew who they were. The father and the mother were both socialites. Mm -hmm. Everyone would come over, the governor, all the important people would come over. These guys had a lot of money. In fact, I'm going to show you the house he grew up in here in a second. And it is on the market right now. Oh. The house, not the murder house, the one he grew up in. Right. But it's an eight-bedroom house. This will okay. show you how rich they were. Wow. So it was, it was made into like a, an apartment or a duplex later, but it was a like a manor home. Yeah, exactly. So his brothers, he has two older brothers, they actually, once the father died, they sold it as a a complete package, okay. probably worth millions. Wow. But just that flat right now is worth three hundred and fifty thousand. Just that wow. one. So and you could looking at that picture, you know, there's probably like eight flats there or mm-hmm. whatever. You see I mean they're not wow. like billionaires, but they were pretty wealthy. Yeah. There were at least two nannies that were there the whole time. There was a chef and everything else. The whole family enjoyed classical music, playing pianos, and hosting 
dinner parties. It was an eight-bedroom Victorian residence. They had cooks, tutors. They had everything you can think of. Everything was taken care of. Like I said, it was a very successful business Hmm. that was being ran. The parents were not abusive at all. Hmm. This guy did not kill cats. He, in fact, loved cats. He had several cats and took very Hmm. well. He he took very good care of them, Hmm. which is crazy because it's called the McDonald Triad. And and this guy's name is McDonald. Yeah, that is funny. That's ironic. (laughs) But he didn't start fires. Nothing like that. Good upbringing. Great upbringing. Well, great upbringing besides the fact that the parents, they didn't abuse him or anything. They just didn't pay him any damn attention. They Mm. didn't pay any of the sons any attention at all. The nannies did. The nannies took care of all of them. The parents are too busy out in public eye being socialites. Yeah, exactly. The wife is hosting parties and everything. And And the mother did kind of berate I want to say the mother did kind of berate the mutilator. <laughs> <laughs> she had no idea what the you little would mutilator. <laughs> little Go mutilator. to your room. The mother did kind of um, belittle her son, uh, William McDonald, in front of her other socialite group, and call him an idiot son and stuff like that. But that was the extent of it. They didn't really like each other. It's more that the parents really did not give a shit about their their sons at all. They don't care. So he wasn't he didn't have like a lower IQ than his other brothers or did he? Well, I'm going to get to that in a second. I don't think his IQ was lower, but something was definitely wrong. His mother, according to according to the mutilator's own words, quote, was not attractive very buxom, very ugly, in fact. She had a large protruding nose, sunken blue eyes, full lips, and wore bright red lipstick. So you can tell, talking about your talking about his mother like that, he didn't really care for her that much either. Mm-hmm. Like, But there yeah. was no sexual abuse. There was nothing. The other two sons were fine, you know. They grew up. They sold the business. They sold the house. And they lived happily ever after. The end. Yeah. <laughs> The mother was extremely social, as I said, and little mutilator, he was kind of an embarrassment because he was completely antisocial, completely. He didn't want to talk to anyone at all. He was always in his own head. When he went to school, he did awful, even though they had tutors and everything else. He could never concentrate. And from the age of eight till he was 13, he remained in the exact same class in kindergarten. What? <laughs> he sent five years in kindergarten, but yeah. he was in kindergarten from eight to 13. You're like, you're normally in kindergarten when you're five years old. Well, the parents didn't care. And they had so much money that they were just they were just like, yeah, just let them keep repeating or whatever. But that doesn't. It's, so it's like the Billy Madison. Anyway, yes, the Bill- mother finally got involved when he was 13. And they said, all right, let's give this one more try. So they sent him to a private school which was still a kindergarten because oh, he never graduated kindergarten. So he was 14 at the time when he last attended school. And in kindergarten. He, and he says, he says, quote, there were no kids in my class older than eight years old. And he was 14. <laughs> did he, did he, the last year, did he actually graduate kindergarten? No, he didn't. <laughs> did, could he not read and write? Like, could he not, did he ever develop I, I those skills? I wonder if it's because he didn't have, have the attention at home but he had nannies though like don't you think that the there nannies would have helped honestly him? no freaking excuse like <laughs> damn you're legit so did he not 
ever learn to read or write? Yeah, he did learn to read. In fact, he's really he was a really good reader when it when he read stuff he wanted. Uh, which the was only he thing, faking it then? At stop school? looking at me, Swan. The only thing he would read is true crime magazines and uh, true detective magazines. Oh, but okay. How, I mean, how can he be able to read and not graduate kindergarten? You know what I mean? Like, Maybe this was the forties. This Australia. was the thirties. No, in London. In London. London yeah. This is the thirties in London. Things are a little bit different. There's no like, no child left behind or whatever that stuff is that this was different I, I don't know but he stayed in kindergarten until he was 14 he drops out of kindergarten he drops out of kindergarten oh, <laughs> this so and he's also terrible. shaving at the time <laughs> starts to get hey do you have any hairs down here because i started to get some <laughs> he's almost twice as old as the kids to shampoo i make your hair shiny and clean i condition your hair i make it soft and smooth he was picked on <laughs> by the kids that's terrible oh my but, god but he was oh never god. bullied obviously because they're fucking eight <laughs> like no one's gonna fucking bully he's like six feet tall uh, <laughs> yelling at five-year-olds i told you you wouldn't even believe this story unless i got uh, <laughs> He was picked on constantly, but never bullied. But he didn't really care. And this is going to become a theme because he gets picked on his whole life. But he legit does not care at all. He retreats into his own world. And at the time, he was sneaking into movie theaters. He just read about Jack the Ripper. And Jack the Ripper became his role model and oh, idol. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> and he would he would... Sneak into these crime movies and everything else, and he became obsessed with murder. He like wouldn't even need like multi. He would only need probably one, only one other of his classmates to do to pull off the tall adult in the trench coat to get into a movie theater. (laughs) Like normally, like kids like that would need like three people. They're like you know how you see in the comics, yeah, tumbling all over. He would only need one other one other kid. Maybe none. Yeah, right. He just puts a fake mustache on. Excuse okay. me, sir. I'd like to get take to this movie. All right. So as I said, the book that I use for my source for this episode is The Mutilator by Paul B. Kidd, K-I-D-D. It, I mean, I can't really say it's a awesome book because it's literally an autobiography. So it's not like he actually wrote any of the words. This all comes from The Mutilator. So if you want to read this, Nicole. The crime movies fascinated me. I couldn't get enough of them. I loved the violence. People shooting, stabbing, and killing each other violently. The bloodier, the better. I also bought Crime and Punishment magazines and locked myself in my bedroom reading them. I was fascinated with the macabre. I, my hero was Jack the Ripper. I loved reading about death and the ways that people murdered each other. I got home at about 6 o'clock in the evenings to the servants waiting with dinner. <laughs> Okay, at 14, he goes and talks to a psychiatrist for the first time. Well, that's good. He tells him that he's has, he tells him that he has fits of depression, and the world, at least in his own mind, was a gloomy place, and also that he never laughs at anything. He was a diagnosed schizophrenic, from what this psychiatrist said, and from later what another psychiatrist would say as well. Did you know that men are more likely to have schizophrenia than females? Hmm. I'm... Y'all just have hysteria. True. 
that is why the vibrator was invented. Thank you, Dr. Will the Pill, for mm-hmm. doing That's that true. hysteria vibrator episode Wasn't on your podcast. Wasn't that like the first episode? It was, it was definitely an early one. So he drops out of kindergarten and joins the <laughs> army. <laughs> <laughs> he drops out of kindergarten. <laughs> how, how old was he when he joined the army? 15? Uh, 17 or 16. He oh. joined for the war. I mean, the war started in 1939. That's when he joined. He knew he needed to do something. He didn't want to just live at home, but he's really antisocial, and obviously school's not working out for him. You know. No, <laughs> let's try a different route. <laughs> so he joins the Army, and the regular forces, even during the war, would not take him. The Air Force, you know, the British Navy, no one would take him. Ah, uh, the Army. Well, the army, yeah. It was actually. <laughs> yeah, Sounds about right. The army takes everybody. <laughs> I was in the army, so I can say that. He joins the Lancashire Fusiliers. This is about them. The Lancashire Fusiliers was a line infantry regiment of the British Army that saw distinguished service through many years in wars, including the Second Boer War and the First and Second World Wars. And had many different titles throughout its 280 years existence. It was a very strict army. It says right there, infantry regiment. Infantry regiments so are really strict. Man. Yeah, he was an infantryman, a, a, a ground, what do you call it, ground thumper, something like that. Anyway, this was known as kind of like the crack army, right? I mean, no one really wants to go there, you know. They're it's just known the, as the crack army. Not the crack army like smoking crack, but I mean like infantry. Uh, it sounds bad. I was infantry, but it, you know. You're doing a lot of the groundwork when you're infantry. Yeah, you're the one that. Get, you're the front shield. You're the, you know, you're the shield for the bullets. Right. So, but it was very strict and the Air Force and the Navy wouldn't take him because his mental illness, you know, he had schizophrenia. So the army definitely was like, you're. You're Great, perfect we'll candidate you. for us. Anyway, right when he gets to his unit after his basic training, now he's 19, 20 years old, he had an experience that completely changed his life forever. At 19, 20, he's in this infantry unit. He has never, obviously, because he was in kindergarten, thought about sex before. He has never masturbated. He has never been taught about sex because I don't think they teach that in kindergarten unless you went to my school. Wait, they don't teach it at all. They didn't teach me it. I had to learn on the fly. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. (laughs) What the fuck? Oh, shit. (laughs) I still don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Wait, I'll put this where? (laughs) You're so lucky, Nicole. Around 19 and 20, he has. He doesn't even know what sex is. All he knows is murder, murder, murder. That's all he cares about. And he has never even masturbated. I had only been in the Fusiliers a short time when the circumstance that I believe changed my life forever took place. I was raped by a corporal named Alexander Rice in an air raid shelter. He was a 45-year-old career soldier and my superior officer. He lured me to the shelter where there was no one else around and forcibly pulled my trousers down and put his penis in my bottom and masturbated my penis at the same time. Alexander Rice, the corporal that raped him, and two weeks later he moves and he's never seen again by the mutilator. But 
every victim from now on, before the mutilation occurs, this is very important, before they stop, before he starts to lob off the cock and balls, the knickknacks, the family jewels, you know, the pecker and peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> pecker and peanuts. Uh. <laughs> so does every victim in his mind become Alexander Rice? Only only when he's about to lob off, you know, the package. Mm-hmm. That's when Alexander Rice, the corporal, his face transmorphs into the victim's face. And he'll he'll talk about this in his autobiography. He says he starts laughing at him. <laughs> you can't kill me. <laughs> And then he just goes into rage and just lops them right off. Well, that's part of the like probably. hot knife through, like a hot knife through butter. Just oh shit, it's clean off. So every victim, so every victim before the mutilation occurs from now on, he sees in his head Alexander Rice. Not only that, but he believes that this is the turning point, and he refers to it as the demon inside of him. In multiple passages. He says, the demon's urging me to kill, kill, kill. So basically, Alexander Rice, with that rape, because this is how he explains it, he put the demon seed inside of the mutilator. And, you know, the the demon grew in the mutilator, and this is what happens. He's 23 years old, and he's out of the Army. He takes menial jobs, construction, stuff like that, but he can never really land a permanent role because he's really weird and awkward. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't like anybody at all. Does he, he have any female sexual encounters after this? No. He actually, he actually, from the rest of his life moving forward, that was his first experience. He bashes homosexuals, but yet he is, he is one. And we saw this before. Is he actually one, or d- is it more of a product of him being raped and like, and having no other experience? Yeah, I, I think him. that that may be it. But I I've seen this in one other case. I can't remember. I think it was a John Wayne Gacy case, if if mm. I'm correct. Yes. But he he bashes homosexuals, yet he, all his victims were male. It definitely was John Wayne Gacy because he grew up Catholic, I believe, mm-hmm. and. So that was against his religion. This guy grew up Jewish, and it was definitely against his religion. And he would bash well, it. Well, at least it was if he was raised Orthodox. Yeah. 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 He would bash it, but ultimately that's – he's never been with a woman, only men. But the, his, but was he ever truly with a man? He for was enjoyment, by a man. Or was he just yeah. getting back at them? Let me tell you here in a second. He's 23 years old now. He works menial jobs, construction, and everything else. He learns to play the piano really well. He's actually very talented. And he starts visiting the toilets, the public toilets, at night. And this is where his deviant behavior starts to, you know, starts to flower. So he looks for men, and basically it's just hand jobs here and there, you know, maybe a little glory hole action, whatever he can find. But he doesn't do it every night. He only does it once a month when he needs it. Kind of release. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's when he does it. And it is, I don't ever think he actually has sex with anyone ever again. I think it's just all like quick, quick handy here. You know, I'll, I'll do you two. Let's do the ski instructor, both hands at the same time. <laughs> oh, shit. You know, my eye. 
type of thing. And then, <laughs> and then he's out. But at the time, especially here, especially here, the baths and the public toilets, everyone knew that that was taking place at night and that would end you up in prison or the mental institution. So at what point does he move to Australia from London after right after the war? Well, I'm going to tell you here in a second. He gets arrested and he spends some time in jail for this handiwork he's doing at the toilets. Okay. His brother, which, you know, was estranged at this point, didn't want to talk to him or anything else puts him in a mental hospital because he's like, you're walking the streets getting handies and giving handies. Something's wrong with you. So he goes to the Crichton Mental Institution at Dumfries in Scotland. And this is it right here. It is now a five-star hotel. I was say, it's quite beautiful. Yeah, yeah it's really beautiful. That's a five-star hotel. I now. would not go there <laughs> now that you've said this, though. Right? So You don't, you don't mess with, like, no, hospitals. No, no. And no I would it's not, not like anyone I would died not there. Uh, excuse me, in a mental institution, institution you, you bet your bibby that someone died there. There is, a mental, there is a mental institution in Columbia, South Carolina, where I grew up. And Did we you, used to, like, sneak, sneak into yeah. it. Yeah. And now it is an apartment complex. That's kind of like Taunton. Oh, hell no. <laughs> That's like Taunton State Hospital. Like God. people used to uh, to Absolutely sneak in not. there all the time. They gave me high voltage electric shock treatments five days a week. They plugged the electrodes to my head and chest and then jolted the electric current through my brain and body. It was terribly painful and gave me horrific headaches. If I didn't go along with the nurses and doctors each day, they would have had the guards drag me, so I offered no resistance. I was also on medication that sedated me. They said they were doing it to cure my schizophrenia and to stop me from walking the streets at night and making a nuisance of myself. Mm. He does look like a gangster in that pic. So the mutilator travels quite a bit in this story. In 1949, once he gets out of the mental hospital, he goes to Canada. Ah, and Canada. he travels to Canada with no money, and he's homeless for a year. Mm. You just said, oh, Canada. I know. I did that on purpose. Oh. He was in London. Then he went to Sweden for the mental hospital. He gets out. He goes to Canada. He's homeless for a year. He gets up some money, and then he goes to Sydney, Australia. So this guy is just a nomad. So freaking impulsive. It's not even funny. He starts visiting the public toilets a lot, and he's got in trouble quite a bit with the law now. And they start calling him a poofter. Mm-hmm. You know what a poofter is? It's, it's a derogatory a- term for a gay person. Mm-hmm. This is from Urban Dictionary about what a poofter is. You're fucking poofed, aren't you, boy? Thanks, Urban Dictionary. Real nice. Very descriptive. All right, whatever. Now, in 1950, he goes to Sydney, Australia, and he has that nose job that I was talking about earlier because he wants to become less Jewish. And he starts working menial jobs again. A lot of construction stuff. Nothing ever works out. No one really likes him. And it's it's hard to explain because... Antisocial is not a good word for it. If you go up to someone and say, hey, they'll usually be like, hey, even if they are antisocial, you know, hey, what's up? If you go say hey to the mutilator, he just will ignore you like you're not even there. Hmm. Like he didn't like anybody, Mm. you know, and he was always in his own head. Well, did he have antisocial personality disorder along with schizophrenia? Probably. 
he was actually only diagnosed with schizophrenia from what I saw. And it's funny because when this guy was arrested, it was an insane versus sane thing. Like, is he insane? For some reason, they found him guilty and that he was sane. But everyone in the courtroom and the whole town was like, do not say this guy is sane. Please, this guy is insane. Like, we don't even want him in the jail system. He will admit that he is legit mentally ill. But why would they? Bad. Why would they say? Well, I would think that they would want him to claim sanity so he could be in jail versus a mental institution. They'd prefer him in. A well, mental when he was, yeah, they would because but he would be more danger to the prisoners that yeah, were there. And in fact, he almost killed one guy. Oh, completely! Like the first day he was there, and then they were like, "Well, this guy's probably insane." So now you got the padded walls and Too stuff late. like that. He can't do anything. I mean, if if I've ever if I've ever covered a case that was definitely schizophrenic, this guy is right up there with Richard Trenton Chase, the vampire. Oh wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. The, and no one questions that. So for some reason, the jury told him he was saying a bad move. Anyway, moving on. Let's get to some murdering. On March 19th, 1960, at 6.30 p.m., 63-year-old Amos Hugh Hurst was outside the Roma Railroad Station buying a pie. Mm. All right. What kind of pie? I don't know. Apple pie, maybe? Mm. I think it's like one of those meat pies. You know, back in the days, the Sweeney Todd days, they would always sell the meat pies. Yeah, best pies in London. I started out a conversation with him. I could see that he was broke and he dug deep in his pockets to pay for the pie, McDonald says. I pulled out a roll of notes in front of him and offered to pay for his pie. He accepted, and when we went to a nearby beach where he sat and ate it, we drank from a large bottle of beer, which I produced from my carry bag. I told him that there were another three bottles in the bag. So this right here is the first glimpse of the M.O. He's killing down-and-outers, unfortunates, you know, the homeless type of people. People Drunkards. that he that could relate to? Well, there were easy kills. All the victims had ranging blood alcohol levels from 0.8 to, I think the worst was like, I think the worst was like 3.8 or oh something like God. that. I mean, so the drunker, the better. That's a perfect example of his MO. He'll find someone that's already been drinking a little bit and say, hey, mate, I got some bottles here in my sack. Mind if I take your sack? And he wouldn't say that, but that's what it would lead to. Hmm. They, he would take his sack, obviously. Um, <laughs> <laughs> see how many innuendos we can come yes. up with in this episode. Okay. So this guy, 63-year-old Amos Hugh Hurst, was an unemployed laborer. He lived off a small benefit stipend. He did have his own apartment. His mother actually paid for this little apartment. As I watched Amos get drunker, the urges to kill him grew stronger until I couldn't control myself any longer. I stood up and approached him and put my hands around his neck and it squeezed from the sides and the front with my thumbs. It felt good to have that power over him. He called out, Please stop! Stop! Please stop! and tried to protect himself by ripping my hands away from his neck with his, but he was no match for me. So when he says he's no match for me, I need to point out that part of the mutilator's ritual was he had his own set of barbells in his apartment and he would stay in peak physical shape. And it reminds me a lot of the Golden State Killer. When I read that story, he was in really good shape. And the reason he did that is so 
he could overpower the victims because the mutilator is a small guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you saw a picture yeah. of him, small guy, mm-hmm. but he's very fit and very in shape, athletic. So if he does get in a bind, he can easily escape. It, it's it's almost exactly like the Golden State Killer. That's what it mm-hmm. reminds me of. Is that why you started making your home gym? Touche. As I was strangling him, I looked down into his face and I couldn't believe my eyes. I was looking at the face of Alexander Rice, the corporal who had raped me all those years ago. I was overcome with hatred and I went into a rage and strangled him harder and harder, even after his body went limp. I went on strangling him long after he was dead. I regretted that I hadn't brought a knife with me to make sure that Alexander Rice would never rape any more innocent young men even where I had just sent him straight to hell. Hmm. So I forgot to mention, but you guys probably figured out, this is the first murder. Mm. This is Amos Hughes, 63 years old. This is the first time he's ever murdered somebody. When we started the episode off, that was kind of a teaser, Mm -hmm. you know, of one of the middle murders. But Mm -hmm. this is the first. So he's not mutilating him right now. But he said it himself, as Nicole read, I wish I brought a knife so I can slice Alexander rice's nuggets to make sure he wouldn't rape any more men exactly so now you see what's going through his mind the body was stripped besides his socks he always let the socks on for some reason Hmm. trousers off socks on and in the shirt on too like the upper body was still clothed it's just the trousers off and then face down booty up and the nuts off Yeah. yeah the clothes were folded beside his body i don't know i've seen other killers do this before too they fold the clothes up. Uh, it, maybe it's a respect thing. I don't know. Now, this is in the bloke's apartment, not the mutilator's apartment. But like I said, his the 63-year-old, his mother was renting in a little apartment for him. Mm-hmm. So he does this after this guy is blitz drunk, chokes him out, and chokes him to death. He puts him under the covers, strips him naked, and then he basically leaves. No blood or nothing else. So... When the police do the investigation, and I actually found the obituary clip it from the newspaper, 63-year-old Amos Hughes died of natural causes, yada, yada, yada. Think about it. The police go into the apartment. There's a guy naked. He's an older guy. He's under the covers. The clothes are folded up, right? And, you know, it's, it's just like, why would you think that's a murder? He's, but wouldn't you see the marks on his neck? And there were bruises, yeah, but they... Deemed it a heart attack. This isn't the first time they've Hmm. misread a situation. Even, I mean, police today do it all the time. Right. But so it was no no mutilation died of natural causes, what the police said. Hmm. It's really interesting to point out, once they did catch the mutilator, they exhumed this first victim for whatever reason. Because this was, you know, years later. Mm -hmm. They wanted to see... If he had the marks, like you said, on his neck or whatever, and this is what the report says. The remains consisted of a skeleton lying in black slime. (laughs) The individual bones had separated and there was almost complete absence of soft tissue. So they exhumed this dude's skeleton and then they're like, oh, fuck, he's a skeleton. And there's like... (laughs) Literally, that's what it says. And they put him back in there. Oh, my God. 
It's like they don't Didn't think that never was gonna happen. <laughs> it's like what do you think's gonna happen? He's been here for like six years. Oh my god. <laughs> well shit. <laughs> but yeah, it says the skeleton lying in black slime. <laughs> it's like Ugh. what the fuck were you thinking? Like, are you serious? Like twelve years later, what do you think's gonna happen? <laughs> anyway. No kidding. So here is the next victim. Go to talkmore.com. This is the 40-year-old Alfred Reginald Greenfield. And this is the first time, as Nicole kind of read, where the demon's starting to come up and kind of take over. And he talks about these urges. And a lot of times he'll go in for the kill. And in more than one occasion, for instance, one guy on a bus that I'm not going to get too far into, but he was a homeless man sleeping on a bench near a bus stop. He wakes up, he was drunk, with two stab wounds in his neck. Oh my gosh. The mutilator came up behind him and stabbed him twice, and then he lost the urge. The demon had subsided, (laughs) and then he just books it. (laughs) Never mind. I'm good now. (laughs) And that happens so many times. Even if the guy, and he can be with the guy you know, all night drinking, and then he will lose the urge, and he just walks away. It's like, ah, I'm sorry. <laughs> so fucking odd. Wow. So the first victim that he killed, he did not mutilate. Yeah. This this second victim, he did. Yeah. So this is forty year old Alfred Reginald Greenfield. He was found in that same mutilated state. He had a blood alcohol content of one point five and forty seven stab wounds. He also didn't have a penis anymore. <laughs> that. <laughs> I mean, you don't really need it when you're dead, but... Well, the media went crazy, especially like the Daily Mirror and stuff like that, and they really pushed the term mutilation. But to kind of to kind of calm the public down, they wanted to find the knife because they believe if they found the knife, maybe there's a fingerprint or something on it that they can use to catch the mutilator. So they had some divers go down into the Sydney Harbor and search for the knife. We have been instructed to look for a knife and anything else that may have something to do with the murder, he said. I was scrounging along the bottom when I came across a lot of small fish congregating around something. When I brushed the fish away, I found myself looking at a humus penum. <laughs> humus penum. <laughs> humus penum. <laughs> I was like, wow, is this a new species? <laughs> humus penum. <laughs> humus penum. <laughs> Oh, look at the humus penum <laughs> floating by. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, shit. Oh, my well, God. Well, shit. That's a beautiful striped humus penum right there. It's <laughs> <laughs> the hairy type, isn't it? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> when I brushed the fish away, I found myself looking at a human penis, scrotum, <laughs> testicles, and a portion of the skin and hair that was keeping them together. <laughs> oh. Oh, they weren't enclosed in anything such as a container, a plastic bag, or anything like that. They were just loose. <laughs> they were loose. He just lobs the penis and balls into the lake. <laughs> but he's like, it's. But it's uh, he's lobbing them off in one unit like yeah it's it's, it's all intact well, together yeah as jen will read later he basically cups the balls in the the penile shaft and kind of lifts it up and like a samurai slice <laughs> it's like he's cutting a bouquet yeah 
This is from the uh, police. The external genitalia had been removed, and it was certain that the male body parts recovered from Sydney Harbor <laughs> by Constable. I'm also thinking about Finding Nemo right yes. now. <laughs> is- P. Sherman, 42 Wallaby Way, Sydney. <laughs> Oh my gosh, like at the end, Gil, and the other yeah. fish in the plastic bags. Uh, yeah, and like there's a little penis. They're yeah, like, right. And they're like, now what? Yeah. <laughs> the external genitalia had been removed, and it was certain that the male body parts recovered from Sydney Harbor by Constable Greentree were the missing parts. The penis had been circumcised and had the words, all for a night's love, tattooed along the shaft. <laughs> Like, was that before or after he cut them off? Before. He had a lot of tattoos. The guy had a tattoo on his shaft of his penis? Yeah, and that hurts, too. I'm just kidding. Oh, my God. I didn't even know that was possible. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. Shit, mine looks like an elephant trunk. (laughs) (laughs) A baby elephant. Oh, my God. You've talked about that so many times. You have so many allegories about your penis. Like, I don't think that any other, like, roommate trio has had as many stories about one of their roommate's penises than we have. This is true. Unless, yeah, unless it's all guys and then there'd be many, but no. Okay, so now that's what the police found. And I want to say before we go any further, he worked in a construction place during the day. And everyone's talking about this first mutilation. It's like the most gruesome crime in Australian history as of now. Mm-hmm. Right. And there was actually a joke that was going around. What was the joke? It's, um, tell us a joke, John. <laughs> <laughs> Is, uh, how did the police find the cock and balls in the Sydney Harbor? How? They sent. Four skin divers. Ah. <laughs> Four skin. They're, got they're looking got for it. the humus penis. Four skin. <laughs> um. Four skin yeah. divers. <laughs> Come on, that's funny. That is. That is I have, so like so. I mean, when when they found the victims, they were like essentially like live Ken and well dead Ken dolls. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. actually, um, it's it's really interesting to point out. When you come across the mutilator's victims, you notice that the penile area, you almost don't notice anything's wrong because there's no blood there. Because Oh, that's weird. Yeah, but well, think about it. Oh, they do it after he died? Well, yeah, so all the... The so the, if the heart stops, it stops pumping blood. Uh-huh. Otherwise, it would be messy, well, really gory. It is everywhere because he stabbed him in the neck, but just not around the pubic area. And with the penis lobbed off... You would think it'd be more blood, but there's none. Well, it depends on how well he manscaped, right? Now, this is the same murder we're talking about, but this is from the exact words of the mutilator. I raised the knife backwards over my shoulder and plunged it sideways into his throat with all my might. The force of the blow knocked him sideways, and he let out a scream and clutched at his throat with both hands. I think the first blow stuck the blade right through his neck, and it came out the other side. I get a feel warm fluid all over my hand. I pulled it out and lunged at the knife at him again in the direction of his throat, and this time I think it deflected off his hand and into his jugular vein and cut it, because his screaming turned into gurgling noises, and I could feel warm blood spraying everywhere out of his mouth and all over my hands and face as he tried to call out. 
Now, he actually buries the knife. Men have Adam's apple. Do women have Adam's apples? No, no. that's how you can. That's one way you can tell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not if you're in Taiwan. <laughs> no, that, that is a way you can yeah. still tell. I mean, the, you can have them shaved oh. down. You can have your Adam's ap- apple shaved. Because it's what? Cartilage, right? What yeah. the fuck is it? Cartilage. Yeah, I think it's cartilage. Why um, do men have it and women don't? Ask God. Go to church. So he buries the knife through his Adam apple and it comes out the back of his neck. So the Adam's apple, if you're a guy, if you're the one or two guys listening right now, feel your Adam's apple and it's all bumpy. Ugh. Oh, it kind of hurts. That's where the blade of the knife goes through upward at an angle and comes out the back of the neck. Oh. That's a long knife. <laughs> so Was it like a machete? I don't know. No, That's a long a knife. Big old, big old mutilator like knife. Like a fillet knife? I mean, he's yeah. a mutilator. What is he going to carry? A butter knife? Fuck, he's a fucking <laughs> mutilator, Jen. Sounds like, well, I mean, it almost sounds like the <laughs> knife know. that I used last night where I almost cut my pinky off. He's the fucking mutilator. This thing is the mutilator knife. Like a fucking mutilator knife. I can just picture it as like a samurai sword. Anyway, as soon as he buries the knife through the Adam's apple comes out the back, then he sees that motherfucker that raped him when he was a private. Ah, Adam Rice. And he put him... Alexander Rice. put the penis in his bottom. That's when Alexander's face comes to the guy, starts laughing at him. (laughs) You think I'm dead? I just begun, motherfucker. And that's when he gets his name, the mutilator. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to shut you up so you can't do this anyone else. He pulls down his trousers. Using my left hand, I grasped his penis and testicles in a bunch and held them up as I sliced them off of the base. The knife was very sharp, so I made a good job of it and cut out the whole area surrounding his privates as well. There was very little blood, obviously, because his heart had stopped pumping. I walked with a few yards to the seawall and threw them as far as I could out into the bay. The murder and mutilation had taken about 15 minutes. I can just imagine taking a penis, like a floppy penis, and throwing it. It's like boom, 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 as it flies to like the air. Like a bird? Yeah, well, it's kind of going back and forth like a big floppy fish. You know how a fish jumps out of the water and it's like, yeah. If you throw the penis, I'd probably, I'd probably throw it and, and it just... Come back and hit like me a in boomerang. The face. <laughs> I mean, it is Australia. <laughs> a boomerang penis. <laughs> they throw the penis and it comes back like a boomerang. <laughs> oh uh, shit! Where did, did I already, we come up with this? Did I already say the joke about the skin divers? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So here's a little bit about the mo. New knife each time he goes to a little sports store, pawn shop, buys a new knife, the mutilator knife, the demon which is Alexander's seed, tells him to. He always carries a couple bottles of beer in his Merce or whatever. His satchel. (laughs) His satchel, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) His satchel. But when the cops start cracking down and patrolling the area, and they're doing that by pretending to be homeless, looking for handies, you know, he actually got in trouble once for touching up undercover officers you know whoops wang wang so that as they start becoming more involved in this he switches to wine because they know the mutilator uses beer so wine i don't know um anyway but that's how he kind of baits the victims in he always goes for down and outers the people that won't be missed and around the toilet areas now he this is crazy and i kind of wonder if the author 
Uh, Brent Ellis got it for his movie, American Psycho. A lot of the ones that happened in the bath, he would put on a raincoat. Hmm. Remember American Psycho yes. where he takes the axe? Yep. He that, would put no, on a ra- That might have been before Jen fell asleep or after Jen fell asleep. I I've think. seen the scene before. That was a Jared Leto scene, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then he, you know, so no blood would get on him. He did that. And that's the only serial killer I've ever done that has used that technique. And I think hmm. it's amazing because. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> I can't use it. <laughs> because he's in the public bath usually doing this. And then he walks out all fresh and clean. With a penis in his pocket because he's got to lob it off the harbor. <laughs> well, the one in American Psycho, it's like a, a perfect, like, tailored suit range. Yeah. yeah. It okay. is. And like I said before, he also stays in excellent physical shape. and Also from American Psycho. Yeah. If you want, yeah, uh, that's what I'm saying. He may have knew yeah. about this. Anyway, if you want to describe this next victim, Nicole, for us. I don't even know what I'm looking at. <laughs> You're looking at a trunk. He's on his knees. Yeah, so his knees are bent. So go to talkmore.com to see this picture. The bloke's on his knee. The knees he's are... He's like, he, his butt's touching his feet, basically. Exactly. Yeah. And he's leaning against a toilet. His whole head area is covered. And I'm going to show you why in a second. And then his trousers are pulled down. You see that? Mm-hmm. And do you see where the blood of his penis is? Yeah. Do you yeah. see it? Uh, yeah, I guess I do. Yeah, so that's the blood right there of his penis. So you guys see, it took me a long time to figure out what I was looking at yeah. with this. Yeah, go What's talk- over his head? A jacket. Uh, it's a jacket or a plastic trash bag or something. And the and the reason they did that is so the press wouldn't take photos and put it in the paper. Because at the time, none of these papers would dare put the fact that he was this bad mutilated. It was like taboo to do that in the press. Now they don't give a fuck. But here's what this victim looked like prior to this. Go to talkmer.com to see this photo right here. Ooh. Do you see all the stab wounds in oh, his face? Yes. Yeah. They're everywhere in the back of his neck. That's actually two separate victims right there. Oh. One of them in the back of the neck. You see that? Uh-huh. I mean, they're just, ugh. I mean, it looks like a demon did that, doesn't it? Just like, he was like in a, crazy. In, man, in a manic state almost. Yeah. The next victim was a Tuesday, November 21st, 1961. That's when uh, the victim was found. We entered the toilets at the southern end of the building, and I saw the body of a man in the cubicle. Constable Fury said, The body was in a semi-collapsed position in front of the toilet seat. The body was leaning against the wall. The trousers were undone and around the knees, exposing the flesh of the thigh and buttocks, and I saw that the body was missing the genitals. The whole of the genitals were missing, including the skin normally covered by pubic hair. The whole area had apparently been removed by a sharp knife or similar weapon. Yeah, so that exact photo that she described, I'm putting that on talkmore.com. It is a little grainy. I'm putting both the actual crime scene and a more high definition if you will or modified black and white photo which you can kind of see better but it's going to take you a while to understand what you're looking at yeah but he's on his knees you can't see his face or whatever but you can see where his penis used to be and you see the lack of blood there which i think is very interesting you know that there's hardly no blood there this victim also had a knife wound through the adam's apple he loved doing that straight in the adam's apple His name was Ernest William Cobbin, 47 years old, 23 stab wounds in the left shoulder alone, 27 in the upper front left side. The back of the body was resting against the toilet like you see, and blood was all over the place. You see the blood 
I know it's black and white, but you can kind of see it's all over the place. Oh, on the wall, yeah. Well, he would always try for the neck, and he talks about if he misses the jugular, then they always fight back. And in fact, the next victim we're going to talk about, he misses the jugular and actually cuts himself in the process really bad. He had to have stitches. But if you don't hit the jugular, they got all the adrenaline to keep going, you know. So Hmm. it's very important to hit right at the jugular. This is from the Criminal Investigation Branch. This is the press release that they put out. We believe police pressure is forcing this murderer into the open, and he could now strike anywhere at any time. We feel that any man who is alone in a lonely street park or park for more than 10 minutes could be murdered and mutilated by this maniac. We believe he is a twisted psychopath homosexual who is killing to satisfy some twisted urge. I'm not going to go through the profile, but this is actually really interesting. This is before behavior profiling existed, and this was one of the first cases ever that they actually tried it. They had, I mean, this was before the FBI even thought of it. They profiled this guy, and then they gave the profile to him when he was finally locked up in prison, and he actually said, yes, that's me, no, that's not me, yes, I do that type of thing. It's really interesting how Hmm. they did that. This is his own words right here talking about this victim. Instead of taking the bottle from my bag, I slid my hand around the handle of the knife and slipped it out of its sheath. In a sweeping motion, much the same as a boxer delivers an uppercut. So he is, with a knife in his hand, doing an uppercut. It's fucking crazy. It goes straight through your jaw, up through your brain, everything. I brought the knife up swiftly and stuck it straight through his neck. Instead of holding his throat... And collapsing as I expected he would, he jumped up from the seat and grabbed my left hand, and he tried to fend off the knife blows with his right hand as I stabbed him again and again and again and again in the throat, as you saw from the photos. Blood shooting everywhere. I became more enraged again, and I saw the face of Alexander Rice smiling at me, taunting me to kill him if I could. I went berserk. (laughs) Fucking crazy, dude. (laughs) The next victim is Frank McLean. McLean had died of a massive hemorrhaging from numerous gaping wounds in his neck, some of which had gone through the neck and come out the other side. Two large wounds had penetrated his chin and tongue, indicating that the blade had been plunged in an upward direction with extreme force. Mm. There were 49 stab wounds in all to the neck, face, head, arms, chest, shoulders, and back of the victim. The deceased's throat had been cut twice, and a jugular vein had been severed. It was not possible to tell if the injury to the jugular had occurred first or later in the attack. The penis, scrotum, and testicles had been excised together with an area of skin surrounding them. At this point, everyone's freaking out. And if you see that picture... Hold your dick. Watch out. You can see the stab wounds. Start wearing a cup. You can see the (laughs) stab... Yeah. I was thinking that too, like a chastity belt. <laughs> like a Robin Hood. Men in, men with yes, tights. Yes. Yeah. yes. Men in tights. Or at least tuck it back, guys. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, you see the picture there. You can see the through and through wounds, man. Those are those are that is a demon doing that. I'm sorry, man. Those are fucking demonic wounds. After this murder, the Daily Telegraph wrote a story and ran a headline that said, quote, Killer could be a woman. Ooh, ah. like a woman scorned. Yeah, okay. Yeah, cutting off the balls. It. I could see it. <laughs> uh, the government actually offered a huge reward 
today's money, $275,000. Wow. And they also offered with that full immunity if he had an accomplice. Let's say he has an accomplice and the accomplice comes forward. Mm-hmm. He would still get the reward money, 275000 and he would get full immunity. That's a pretty good wow. deal. But he didn't have an accomplice, so that didn't happen. Okay, the next victim I'm going to run through real quick. Um, I'm just going to read a little bit about what he said. Now, this was a victim that he almost got caught. A family came by when he was killing the victim. This was before the mutilation. And a baby started crying, and that scared him off. The father walks up on this dying guy, still with his penis and balls. He runs to the cop's. Seven minutes later, comes back. The balls are gone. Hmm. Wow, so he actually hid. Yeah, he hid while this guy was running to the police and then lobbed him. I put the top back on the bottle and bent over and put it back in my bag. I grabbed the handle of the knife and came up with full force of my body behind it and stuck it in the direction of his neck. He was about six inches taller than me and the blade went straight in beneath his chin and probably straight through his tongue. And Hmm. then the point stuck in his top jaw. I had to pull hard downwards to get it out. The father walks up after the baby's crying. He goes and hides and then he comes back. And then this is what he does. I lifted up his shirt, which is drenched with blood and lowered his trousers. I bunched his cock and balls up in my left hand and sliced them off of the stem. There was very little blood. I put them then in a plastic bag and put that along with the raincoat and knife, which were both covered in blood in my carry bag, then walked swiftly out the opposite end of the street from where the young couple and their baby had been. Now, this is crazy. This is also one of the crazy things about this case. This is an article you're looking at right now from a local Sydney newspaper. It says, the case of the walking corpse. This is about the mutilator. Everyone knows the mutilator. I mean, he is really famous, which makes it impossible for him to keep killing because all the people that are trying to get handies are undercover undercover cops, kind of like here in Mount Pleasant. They're taking their balls (laughs) into their own hands. (laughs) Okay, so he wanted to move away from his problems, and he actually wanted to start over. He wanted to get this demon out of his head. At this point, he is full schizophrenic. I hope you guys understand that. And he tries to actively move away and figure this out himself. He should have been taking medication, but he was not. So he thought a move and a change of scenery would do him some good, and he can get rid of this problem. Because he didn't want to do this. Right. Okay. So he purchases a deli from a local man and his wife that's, you know, pretty successful. It's like a little cantina shop, you know, in, in the town. That's in Concord. He had saved... All You know, he had saved a huge chunk of his money because he doesn't spend any money. He doesn't have any friends. He doesn't go buy beer or anything else. He Unless stays at he's home. buying it for his yeah. victims. Yeah, he's only buying beer for the victims and uh, an occasional knife or two, right? He meets this guy, John McNulty. Now, this is the first few days of his shop that he just bought this brand new shop. And in today's money, it's about... I think it was like 350000 that he paid for. It's, it's quite an investment mm-hmm. that he paid for this thing. Like mm-hmm. quite an investment. Right. Okay. And like all of his money. He meets this guy, John McNulty, and he's not really a, a down and outer, but 
you know, he is drunk and his wife left him and his kids and he's at the sports bar just drinking and stuff like that. Now, this keep in mind, this is in the first week of him running the shop and he's never ran a deli before and he sucks at it. Everyone thinks he sucks at it. He, he just cannot do it. I should mention his apartment is actually upstairs from the business itself. So the business downstairs, he lives upstairs, okay, of this single story building or of this two story building. He meets this guy, John McNulty, same deal. He's in a different town, so it's not like Sydney cops can touch him because he's, I don't know how, I think he's like an hour away. Mm-hmm. And they don't really, there's not cops like undercover and stuff like that. So he meets this guy and then they go back to his home to finish drinking. The more I looked at him, the more he became Alexander Rice. And after about half an hour of the demon screaming in my head to kill him, which sent me into blind rage, I knelt over him, raised a knife high above my head, and brought it down with all my might and buried it in his neck. He, this is his first week of owning this business. He meets this guy, John McNulty, brings him upstairs to his new apartment, brand new linoleum, everything. Really nice apartment upstairs. And he brutally murders this guy. And there's blood everywhere, all over the linoleum. He tries to clean it up. He even starts taking the linoleum up off the floor. Mm. Okay, but nothing works. It's just too much blood. And he's got to open his business up in the morning because people want their turkey and meat or whatever. Right. He actually tries to cut off his penis, but he could not. And he says, quote, this is from the mutilator's mouth. Quote, I tried to cut off his penis, but only managed to get halfway through it before I fell asleep in a pool of blood beside the body. So here's what he did. If, you, if you're on TalkMurder.com and looking at this picture and you guys seeing this, this is under the shop. This is like the uh, crawl space under the entire building. He brings the corpse downstairs after he strips it besides the socks brings it downstairs now the penis is only halfway on there and he shoves it in this hole and then he says fuck it i'll just pack up everything and just book it just leave town like i'm not dealing with this he just spent a lot of money on this business right a lot so this is how crazy Hmm. this is he actually folded up john mcnulty's clothes dragged the naked man except for his socks under the shop. The next day, this is January 3rd, 1963, he tries to go to New Zealand. I mean, just leaving everything. The body's there. There's blood all over the place. There's obviously, he tried to rip the linoleum up and he just said, fuck it, he just leave. He just left. Mm -hmm. And his name is on the purchase agreement and everything. It's like he's trying to just flee to a different country. Okay. And he is walking along the street and he walks in and he runs into one of his old co-workers. And this guy thinks he sees a ghost because the papers are reporting that William McDonald had died. Oh. And he was under his shop. And, and actually, the paper says this exact thing, quote, the detectives said it was either a suicide or a, quote, bizarre sexual ritual gone too far Hmm. they think the guy under the basement crawl shed of this guy's house is him william mcdonald it's interesting that they didn't tie it to the serial killer with the penis exactly they they actually the detectives got into a lot of trouble they had a whole commission on this to oh god and there was like 47 points or something like that 
that the detectives overlooked. And it was a lot of stuff like the penis is half off, like all kinds of crazy shit that it's obvious that this is not that guy. Right. But they ruled it as or that it's related to these serial yeah, killers. They ruled it as a, quote, bizarre sexual ritual gone wrong. And they thought it was William McDonald. And this ex-co-worker who has read that paper thinks he sees a walking corpse. He goes to the police station, but they're like, man, you're you're full of shit. Just get away here. He takes it to the Daily Mirror and they run this story, the mm-hmm. case of the walking corpse. And it goes crazy. Now everyone has linked the mutilator cases to this, the walking corpse. Mm-hmm. And now it's just like now there's nowhere for him to go. I mean, I guess it would make sense for them to think that it was him considering it was his sh- his own shop. Yeah, you know, yeah. like if they, maybe it could have been a robbery gone gone awry and they like, you know, they killed him and then put him under his own building to get rid of the body. So I can see why your police might say think that it's him. But mm-hmm. was it the this newspaper case that kind of broke the story and they, they caught him from yeah, there? Yeah, so they now know his name, even though he never he never disclosed his real name, which was the Jewish name. Mm-hmm. Um, Ginsburg. Ginsburg. Yeah, exactly. To the public until after his mother, which was the last one of the family, the mother and father, to die. And after his mother died, you know, he says, screw it, I'll tell you everything. And that's... Ah, Yeah, exactly. So William McDonald, the mutilator, finally gets caught. And he's actually really happy to get caught hmm. because he really needed some help. Yeah. And he knew that. He, he didn't want to kill anymore. This was after they demolished the death penalty in Australia. So it was either life or the insane asylum mental institution. They deemed him safe. It was a jury of 11 men, one female, deemed him sane. And he got life in prison, which, you know, he was okay with. He didn't get along with any of the any of the uh, inmates or whatever, but he did try to kill someone like the first day Mm. after that, they reconvened said, okay, he's insane. Just kidding. Yeah, just kidding. They put him about that verdict. (laughs) They put him in a psychiatric ward for 16 years and he had, I mean, straight jacket and everything, but the doctors, once they heard his story of where he came from and his past family history, they actually helped him they didn't just sedate him and stuff like that they actually tried to cure his schizophrenia and i believe they did he claims that they did and the quote demon was gone i mean Mm -hmm. it took 16 years but he in his own words claimed that the demon is gone okay and i do believe that because if you look if you look at this picture right here so was he released after 16 years he was released back to prison Mm. he doesn't ah yeah okay he actually had parole hearings and stuff like that, but he didn't want to go because he didn't want to be on the outside world. He wanted to be right there in his comfort zone. Remember, he's just, he's happy where he is in that prison. He had his own cell and everything else. Now, he died 2005. I believe he was 90 years old. I may be a little off on that, but I know it was, he was about 90 when he died. He never smoked, never drank. And after he was cured, or from what he said, he never had any problems you know, even after they put him back in prison, no, mm. no, no problems whatsoever. He just, you know, he had a portable radio, listened to classic music, and he just lived his life. This is where mental illness, you can definitely see, is a real disease. And once he was cured, he was fine. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's good that he was at least released back to prison, you know, and all that. 
he was such a model inmate, and they trusted him so much. They they let him go out. This is before he's he died. He's an old man here. But you see him walking on the beach, mm-hmm. just him and the author, like on a day pass. No guards, no rifles, nothing. They just go out, hmm. you know. And he would take them, and and they would they would go to coffee shops. They would go to Greek restaurants. That everyone trusted him as soon as he was well. As soon as the he just he didn't want to be. Out of prison. Well, he didn't want the, he didn't want to get out. No, he could have been. I believe he could have been been paroled because he was deemed insane. And so, if it wasn't his fault to do all this, but you know, when the parole boards came up, he said, "No, I don't want to go anywhere. I'm happy where I am." And they, I mean, he was the longest serving prisoner till this day in Australia. And he, I mean, you see a picture of him right there walking on the beach, having coffee. He would go on day passes. I mean, this is a, he murdered five people and they're letting him do this. It's Mm -hmm. because they trusted him so much because he was cured. That's why I think he was actually cured of his schizophrenia and the demon actually left. That's what he claims. Hmm. But anyway, it's a fan, it's it's a crazy story. I really like that story. How did the author like come to interview this guy and do this story? Did did he talk about that at all? He says in the introduction, 13 years ago, I was granted by the NSW. Corrective Services, Access to the Mind of a Serial Killer. And he's a author. Let me see, yada, yada, yada. Um, it was just a, pro- a project that came on his desk, I guess. And, you know, he started spending time with them. I mean, you see him taking them out and stuff like that. I don't know why. It doesn't really say why he wanted to no, do I'm it. I'm just but. curious. So, like I said earlier, I've been focusing on a lot of the Talco Suprema requests. I'm trying to get a lot of them out of the way for you guys if you want to request your own story it's very simple go to talkmurder.com slash join and pay $47 it's a one time fee no recurring fees or anything like that we'll send you a t-shirt some stickers all kinds of cool stuff and you get to join our forum you get to talk to me and Nicole and Jen and you can request your story and I'd love to do it for you but that's the mutilator story I hope you enjoyed it if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button on whatever podcasting app you use. If you like this story, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're absolutely obsessed with this podcast and want to become our mutilator, go to talkmurder.com slash join. Become a Talco Supremo. Get a badass t-shirt, sticker, swag, a lot of love. Shout it out all over the place. Tell me what story you want me to do. I'll research it, dedicate it to you right here on the Talk Murder Me podcast. My name is John here with Jen and, and Nicole. And until next time, good night to you lovely, lovely people.